0: I love it when uh, Kevin preaches because he always starts with a story. And I don't have as good stories as Kevin has. But back when I was a teenager growing up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, when the dinosaurs still roamed the earth, (laughs) I was 13, 14, 15, and so on. And I was just beginning to listen to rock and roll music. And there was this thing called the British Invasion. Some of you may remember that. Have you ever heard of the Beatles? Does that name ring a bell? Yeah, I still hear them in the grocery store sometimes. So they're still popular, I can't believe it, after all these years. So they're really the first group that I began to listen to against my parents' wishes, to say the least. I had to go out and buy a transistor radio and keep it under my pillow. And at night, pull it out from under my pillow and listen to it right up close to my ears so I could listen to the local rock station, K-I-S-D, KISSED. And there was a new disc jockey by the name or well, he called himself Lord Douglas. And I remember feeling conflicted about that because he was so popular. But his name was Lord. It wasn't his real name, but his Lord. Everyone called him Lord Douglas. And he, he affected a British accent, of course, because it was that time of the British invasion of music. You know, all these groups coming to America and around the world from England, like with Cockney accents from Liverpool and so forth. So I'd sit there listening to my, or lay there in bed at night listening to my transistor radio or hanging it on uh, on, on my bicycle as I rode around Sioux Falls, South Dakota, listening to music. I knew my parents didn't want me to be listening to, but I just couldn't resist it. But Lord, Lord Douglas, what? what? Well, of course, he was imitating an English lord. He was pretending to be like one of the lords of the House of Lords of England, you know. And, uh, of course, we knew that wasn't his real name, and there was always this talk about, who is he really? Really? Where does he live? Let's go find his house. I don't remember anybody finding out who he really was, but he lived in Sioux Falls and you know, had two lives. One is whoever he was, and the other one is Lord Douglas. Well, he wasn't Lord. Nobody but Jesus is Lord in the real sense of Lord. I love this quote from a Dutch theologian and actually president of, of the Netherlands a hundred years ago. It's kind of kind of interesting to me that a theologian can be president of something. Uh, we don't get that much respect, usually. But he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Let me read it again. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. I love the story that's true about German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who you may have heard of, who ended up being killed by the Nazis just days before the end of World War II because he was loosely involved in a conspiracy to overthrow Hitler. But in 1933, when Hitler first came to power as chancellor in Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer dared to go on national radio from Berlin and give a talk about the concept of the Führer. And of course, Hitler called himself der Führer. And in English, that can be translated several ways. Leader is the most common translation, but it really meant more than that. In in Hitler's mouth and in the mouths of his supporters, it meant Lord. And so he was calling himself Lord. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer went on the radio and began to talk about how for us as Christians there is only one Führer, he said. He actually used the word Führer. There is only one Führer, and that is Jesus Christ. And as he talked, suddenly the Gestapo turned it off and went to classical music. He was not allowed to finish his thoughts because he was standing up to the claim of one man to be in the place of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. What does it mean, then, that Jesus is Lord? We hear that all the time. We were just talking about that in Bible study on Wednesday night, but there was nothing new or different about that. Jesus is Lord. I've seen so many people baptized, especially children, and asked to give their testimony, and it's just, Jesus is Lord. Well, yes, that's the main thing we say about Jesus. Savior, yes, other things, but Lord is what I want to talk about today. The main confession we make as Christians is Jesus is Lord. But what does that mean? There's a problem with that word Lord in contemporary language, even in many Christian churches. In our English Bibles, Lord is the English word for Kyrios in Greek, Kyrios. And Kyrios in Greek was the translation of Adonai. And Adonai was the word that the Hebrews preferred to Yahweh, God's given name. Why? Because they considered God's name, Yahweh, too holy to utter. And so they used the word Adonai, or Lord. And so when the Bible was written, the New Testament was written in Greek, they used the word Kyrios, which also means Lord, to translate Adonai. But it all goes back really to Yahweh. When the early Christians confessed that Jesus Christ is Kyrios or Lord, they could be understood rightly as saying God. God. Because Adonai was the Hebrew word for God, and Kyrios was the translation of Adonai when the early Christians wrote the New Testament. So when Christians said Jesus is Kyrios, they were saying Jesus is Lord, but also more, that he's God. And who could demand our loyalty more rightly than God? Jesus is Lord was the confession of the early Christians, and it really stood out because Caesar... The emperor of the Roman Empire demanded that people say Caesar is Lord. And when Christians said Jesus is Lord, that was considered treason. Because it meant Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord over all else. And that was the cause of the persecution of many Christians. Many Christians were killed in the Roman Empire simply for saying Jesus is Lord because people knew that meant Caesar is not Lord. So I will tell you what I think Jesus is Lord means, to put it in a nutshell. Jesus deserves our loyalty over all other loyalties. It's about loyalty, folks. There are many people in our world and in our country who are asking for our loyalty. Unconditionally, uncritically, follow me. I will lead you into the new promised land, whether it be politics or economics or whatever it is. They demand our loyalty. And many people, even Christians, are giving their loyalty over to somebody in competition with Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord means Jesus deserves our loyalty above all of the other loyalties. Also, Jesus is Lord, indicates his absolute sovereignty over all creation. Colossians 1 talks about this, and you heard a part of it. It tells us that creation was made for him and by him, and in him all things hold together. And of course, it's talking about Jesus Christ as the Son of God before he became man as Jesus Christ. But even as man, Jesus Christ is the absolute ruler over all things in heaven and on earth because it was all created for him. So Jesus as Lord does not mean that he's just the top dog over an estate or or a, a country even. It means he's the absolute ruler over everything and asks for our absolute unconditional loyalty to him. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus controls everyone or everything, that everything that happens is caused by him. But it does mean that nothing can happen that is not ultimately glorifying to him in the end. And we look to that future, that time. So let me give you an illustration of how I think we are as Christians in this world today. And I'm going to use the illustration of Denmark. My grandmother was an immigrant from Denmark but I've studied uh, Denmark during World War II. It's an extremely interesting story because the Germans took over Denmark, but said to the Danish people, "You can keep your king; he doesn't have to leave." The king of Norway fled to London and set up a, 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 a you know, an exile government. But the king of Nor- of Denmark stayed. Every day, he left the palace on a horse and rode through Copenhagen on different routes around the city, just to show who's still king. Not the the German uh, governor, but the king. In actuality, however, the Germans were occupying Denmark and really pulling the strings and telling people what they could and couldn't do, but the king stayed on, and the vast majority of the Danish people kept their loyalty to their king, even though their country was being occupied by an evil force. And that's like us. Jesus is Lord. It doesn't always appear that way. As we look around the world and see wars and horrible things happening, we might wonder about the lordship of Jesus. But our task, our calling, is to stay loyal to him, even as our world is being occupied in some ways by an evil force. We know, though, that at the end, just as happened in Denmark, liberation comes. And the king of Denmark was reinstalled as the true leader of Denmark when the Germans were expelled. As Lord, Jesus is worthy of our obedience and our worship above all other lords and masters. As Lord, Jesus is also judge of all things. And as Lord, Jesus is worthy of our absolute loyalty, even in America, even over America. I'm a loyal American. I'm a patriot. I love America. When I hear, you know, the national anthem, tears come to my eyes. And I love to pledge allegiance to the flag. But I always think in my mind, but not over Jesus Christ. My allegiance is first and foremost to him, and not even to America. So what makes Jesus Lord like that, as I've been describing? Why? How, how can that be? According to the scriptures, Jesus was made Lord by his resurrection. If his resurrection had not happened, if he had remained dead, he would not be Lord. But his resurrection from the dead was always determined to happen by God, God raised Jesus from the dead and thereby vindicated his claims to lordship. His lordship was open to question until the resurrection, at least among worldly people. People who didn't know who he was. He went around forgiving people's sins, which only God can do. And so at his trial, he was condemned because he made himself equal with God. And it was possible then for people to say, Oh, blasphemer, blasphemer. But when when God raised Jesus from the dead, it proved his lordship once and for all. What kind of Lord is Jesus, though? And here's where we need to make a real shift in our thinking as Christians about the meaning of lordship. If Jesus is the ultimate Lord and there's no Lord higher than him, let's talk about what lordship really means. In our world, lordship means submission, Lordship means master over. Lordship means domination. The demand for cringing obedience. Do it or else. Jesus' lordship is different from any other human lordship. Human lords lord it over others. They exercise power because of their status. Jesus' lordship is that of a suffering servant who sacrificed himself for those who would accept his lordship and live as he did. And that's what Philippians 1 tells us. And Philippians 2, that though he was in the form of God, he did not think equality with God a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, but remaining Lord. So Jesus' lordship that I'm talking about is that of a lamb as well as a lion. When we think of Jesus' lordship, think of Jesus as both a lion and a lamb. In becoming human, the Son of God, Jesus surrendered his glory, his powers of glory for a time. He chose to exercise his lordship through love, not through coercion. If Jesus is lord and loves us, why is there so much suffering and evil in the world over which he is Lord? There's no other question that we theologians have to wrestle with more than that. We're asked it all the time. I have a blog, and I'm always being asked that by atheists who come to my blog. If Jesus is Lord and God and loves us, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Well, on the cross and by his resurrection, Jesus conquered Satan and all the evil powers and principalities. They are conquered. And that's something we as Christians know and celebrate, but sometimes we get bogged down by it anyway and begin to question, is Jesus really Lord? Then why is Satan so powerful? Those defeated powers that I'm talking about, the powers and principalities that oppose God and Jesus are still kicking around, wrongly thinking they can undermine Jesus' lordship to the bitter end. They are in denial about what really happened on the cross and by the resurrection. A great illustration of that that you may have heard before, and I I just watched a documentary about the War of 1812 on YouTube recently. One of the least known wars that America has been involved in. And it was a war between America and the British. But at the end of the war, America and the British signed a peace treaty. But A general by the name of Jackson, who would later become president, was in New Orleans fighting the British, and he didn't hear about the treaty for two weeks. And the biggest battle of the War of 1812 happened in New Orleans two weeks after the war was over. So that's an illustration of how the war does go on. It's not over. As one of the hymns says, the battle is not done. But Jesus Christ will be satisfied in the future. And even now, he's satisfied when we embrace his lordship instead of other lordships, or at least over them. So we know and we confess that Jesus can and will bring a final end to innocent suffering and evil and sin. And we read about that in Revelation 20 and 21. In the meantime... Jesus is being patient, it says in 2 Peter, and expects our participation in the war now to fight against sin and evil. We as his followers are called to pray and to work to spread the lordship of Jesus, not by violence or force, but by example and persuasion, by what I call faithful presence in this occupied world that is under the domination temporarily of Satan. But Jesus is still Lord and calls for our faithful presence. Just as the opponents of the Germans in Denmark during World War II did not cooperate with the Germans, they went on strike in order to undermine the Germans. More often than using violence, they used things like strikes to stop the trains from running and so forth. We as Christians are called to faithful presence, and sometimes that means non-cooperation with the powers and principalities that oppose Jesus' lordship. Right now, in this situation, Jesus expects us, his people, the church, in all of its variations, to live as vassals and spread his kingdom throughout the world by fighting against sin and injustice, hatred and suffering, oppression and poverty, And immorality, not by force, but by persuasion, by the lives that we live that are different than those around us. Lives of love. Someday Jesus will live on this planet and rule over it. His lordship will be manifest to everyone. His lordship will function, just like in Denmark, after the Germans were thrown out and the king was no longer riding a lonely ride around the city on his horse with people standing on the sidewalk kind of waving like this, but rather the day will come just as it did for him when Jesus is reestablished on the throne and actually rules over the world. And the key passage for that is Revelation 20. Go home and read it. Then, after he returns, there will be no more sin or sickness, tears or death. All will be shalom, which means peace and well-being. And that's what the Bible calls us to look forward to. Not the way things are in the world now as the final end, but as the way things will be when Jesus returns and when his lordship is established and manifested in very practical ways. Where will we be when that comes? Will we be those who nonviolently resisted the occupying forces of Satan and the powers and principalities, or will we be those who collaborated with them? That's the question that faces us. I think that we should do our best to picture what this world will be like when Jesus comes back and reigns supreme. And we should never get comfortable with anything here and now that will not be there then. And what we're told is that then, when Jesus is here ruling and reigning in person, just as he departed on the day of ascension, he will come back as the angels promised, and all will be well. There will be no poverty. There will be no hunger. There will be no sin. There will be no war. So we cannot be comfortable with those things now. We can acknowledge them and say they're here. They're really here. And we need to struggle with them, pray against them, work against them nonviolently. But someday, a whole new world is going to come. And we cannot settle in comfortably with anything here and now that won't be there then. When all bow the knee and confess Jesus is Lord. And when he's in control of the social world and the natural world. Jesus' lordship, I think, brings us both comfort and affliction. Jesus' lord means something hard, something that we don't always want to think about, something that we don't always want to accept in practical ways. We can say it all too easily. Jesus is lord, but what happens when someone comes along who demands your loyalty that's not consistent with Jesus as lord? Now, here comes the hard part an illustration, and I have no idea if I'm going to step on anyone's toes or not, but I got out my Mennonite confession of faith in a Mennonite perspective, and it backs me up. I had a friend in Sioux Falls growing up who is still my friend. We're about the same age, and even when we didn't live in Sioux Falls anymore, we kept in touch with Dave Renley and his wife, Bobby, that we grew up with in church. And Dave shared with me that he had arisen in the city of Sioux Falls fire department to the point where he was the natural person to become the fire marshal of the whole city and the whole fire department. He was next in line. He was fully qualified. There was no one else equally qualified with him. But one day, some of the city fathers came to him and said, you can't be fire marshal of the city unless you join the Masonic Lodge. Dave came to me and we talked about it a long time because he really wanted to be fire marshal. But you know, if you're a Mason, you have to call the head of your lodge, worshipful master. Worshipful master. And you had to keep secrets and you had to make oaths of not revealing the secrets of the lodge even unto death. When I moved to the south, to Texas, I was absolutely shocked to discover that contrary to the way I was raised, many, many Southern Baptist people, men, are masons. In fact, every president of Baylor University before the one who hired me had been a mason for 150 years. And I was told that he was forced out of his job partly because he didn't become a mason. That might shock some of you, it might interest some of you, it might scare some of you, some of you might disagree with that, but in the part of the world I grew up in, being evangelical and saying Jesus is Lord and really meaning it was not consistent with belonging to a secret society that required oaths of allegiance to worshipful masters who are mere humans. But there still are parts of the country where that is very strong. Now, am I saying that's the crucial issue? No, I'm just using that as an illustration. Sometime in your life, in the past, maybe in the present, probably in the future, sometime someone, some human being, is going to demand your allegiance unconditionally. Agree with me or else. Consider me Lord over your life, the controller, whether it be in a corporation, whether it be in a church whether it be in a fraternal society, whatever it is. There are lots of people in the world that want to be your Lord. And it may not be a person. It might be money. It might be sex. It might be success. It might be something other than a person. But we are being bombarded all the time through advertising and all kinds of means. Let me be your Lord. Obey me. Give me your all in terms of loyalty. And the Christian's duty is to say, even at great cost, no. Jesus is Lord. And there really is none other. But the good news is that Jesus is Lord means that we know that in the end, Jesus wins. And everything on earth will be as it is in heaven. Shalom will reign. That's what we live into. That's what we believe in and actually know. And that relieves us of the burden of having to look around for lords here and now, other than Jesus. We may be living in enemy-occupied territory, but Jesus is still Lord, just as the king of Denmark was still the king of Denmark, even when it was occupied by the Germans. The people held held fast to him as their king. We need to do that. And we can, because of what we know the future holds. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask for your help in resisting the demands of those who ask for our unconditional loyalty other than Jesus. Help us to be on the watch out and guarded against those who would demand our loyalty and our submission other than Jesus. And help us to remember that as bad as things seem in the world today, you are still Lord, and the day will come when your Lordship will be fully and finally vindicated, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that you are Lord, unto the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.